we are starting a new series today that I'm, I'm really excited for. There's certain things that just matter, and I feel like this is one that's worth going back to. It's the power of thankfulness. You know, nausea is the worst. I'd rather have anything than nausea. I would rather mow a lawn holding onto a bobcat than have nausea. It's the most, uh, it, for me, it is, the stomach flu is the most unbelievable hell that you can be into. And it settles in with us. We typically, it, we first greet it with denial. Like, no, this isn't the stomach flu or gastroenteritis if you're feeling technical today. We think, no, 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 the, I just, yeah, maybe I'm tired, had too much coffee. Uh, it's, it's nothing, it'll go. And it gets worse and worse. Like, no, it can't be, it can't be. And when it hits, you're then left asking the two thoughts of gastroenteritis, how long is it going to last and how bad is it going to get? And you watch your family, they come and go, they're in their shoes, which you are not in. They got coats on, they're out doing, doing all kinds of errands and things and you think, how dare they? I can't imagine. It's just like this unimaginable, like you can't think about what was life like when I wasn't feeling this. It takes over everything. Like they're walking around the house, they're picking things up and you think, how? It's not fair. And it's like, you can't even imagine in your own head, like, what, what did I feel like when I didn't feel this way, when I wasn't in such an awesome and fresh hell as this? I often find I think one thing over and over again, when everything is hard, walking to the kitchen's hard, getting up, adjusting in, in your, on the couch is hard. One time I was sick as a kid, and I was on the couch, and there was a DVD menu playing that was really loud and gaudy, and it was like every 15 seconds, it's going over and over again. I was too sick to go like this and grab the remote. So for three hours, I just laid there and just watched it over and over again. Everything's hard. And when I'm in that state, I often think, I never knew how good I had it. I never knew how good it was to just get up and, I, and just feel good in your stomach. It's a miraculous thing. I don't appreciate... Uh, how good things are until they're often uh, taken away from me. And what if there's more than just the stomach flu? How many things do we take for granted? God has told us, and he's given a scripture to be a guide, this, this call home back to safe harbor to help us to be, uh, as, as creatures in his creation, more full and complete to find him again. And one of the most repeated things that comes up in scripture is the power of, of gratitude, of being a person of great gratitude and thankfulness. A major spiritual discipline in the Christian life is to develop an attitude and a response that is gracious, grateful, full of gratitude. And I feel like it's worth um, always thinking about in this season of time. In this season, our whole country spends some time to express thankfulness. A lot of us in a few weeks, uh, it's a tradition in many households to sit around the table and to talk about something we're thankful for. And sometimes something comes really quick to mind and sometimes it takes a while. And if it takes a while, it may be an expression that we are letting things slip by not realizing how good it really is. Finding time to be thankful for everything. And why is it so important? Because we stand in this river of blessing that's always moving always bringing things in. It never stops. And we awaken to it through gratitude. As we become thankful for it, that's when our vision starts to arrive. That's when we can hear it. That's when we can feel it. And we're not just thankful for the things that are given to us. Thankfulness makes us thankful for the one who gives it to us. 
The reality is, is that we very much commune with God through thankfulness. Gratitude makes us connect with him. So we're going to read, uh, we're going to be going through a few things of just thankfulness in this season. The three weeks leading up to Thanksgiving is going to be a special time. Today we're going to read Genesis. And before we do, before we read the creation account of man, I think it's important to discuss really briefly how do we read this. You know, modern science wants to find structure and it wants to find out how things work. And the Bible has a very different purpose. The Bible wants to tell us why things are. And I'll explain how this works. Think about uh, uh, one event, one event, me slamming on the brakes in my car. You could ask two questions about that event. One is that you could ask, uh, how do the brakes work? And then you could also ask, why did Sam hit the brakes? Same question, two questions, same event, yielding dramatically different answers. If we asked, how do the brakes work? It would be long and complicated and much could be said. The brake lever cantilevers, presses on this rod, it goes to, the, to this pump, it creates the pressure in the hydraulics, it squeezes the calipers down on the disc and slows the car down. And we could go further. We could talk about the mathematical equations they've got somewhere in some laboratory in General Motors where they talk about friction over surface volume divided by mass and velocity and show you exactly why the car slowed down at the rate it did, stopped when it did, and it would all be a lot of information about that one event. And the answer would not be wrong. That is how brakes work. But the question uh, changes as to why I hit the brakes. It would be simpler, more direct, and much deeper. I hit the brakes to protect the family I love from the truck that cut me off. Much simpler, much briefer, but it is deeper. It's a true answer to the question. Less exhaustive, of course, and maybe less concerned with mathematical congruencies and whatnot. But it gets something out of the situation that the question of how did it happen will never get out. It reveals something about the desire of my undying soul and tells you a little bit about who I am. It's two ways of looking at the same event. How did it happen and why did it happen? And the why is deeper. And it's a simpler question. And so it is with the creation account in Genesis. It is completely accurate. Scripture is solid. It is inspired by God, and it is accurate. I'll tell you something. Our ancient Middle Eastern brothers that wrote this down, our founders of the faith, the Hebrews, they did not care much at all for the how. That was not a concern of theirs. They wanted to know why. They wanted the answer to the deeper question. It is beneficial to know how. A lot of us were going to drive home and know probably a little bit of slush, and we'll be grateful that someone did calculations on our cars that they would have the best traction for the way they're built to stay on the road and keep us all safe on the way home. Science has got some great things that it can do. It's important, but it's not critical. What's critical is to know the why of creation. Why was it done? Who did it? As we read uh, this important creation account of man, it's important to know that what they're telling us and what they're so concerned with is the why. Why is this? It'll help us interpret it best and more, accurate, more accurately. God created all things miraculously and mysteriously for a purpose. That God is involved with creation, that through his authority, he made everything for a purpose. And that is not to say in any way 
that creation does not happen the way that it appears to happen in Genesis. That science is doing its best to figure things out, and scientists are. Uh, creation is a mystery. It could have happened. I've heard all kinds of incredible theories. There's the classic theory that science is, is figuring things out and that they'll find out in a few years that creation looks a lot more like a six-day miraculous creation. I've heard someone say that if you, that from God's perspective, you stood in the center of the galaxy when things were created, what would be six days would appear on the earth and the far end of the Milky Way galaxy could be billions of years. I've heard all kinds of incredible theories about what happens, but they're just that theories because what scripture is really specific on and what it wants us to understand is why, why was man made more important than even how is why. Genesis and its writers are concerned with how, why things happened. And it's telling you the reason and the meanings behind your own life and the creation that we live in. Creation might remain to some degree a mystery, but the creator is fully revealed in Genesis. Where scientists might call it the God particle, we call it God. We know the one that breathes into life and makes it living and animates it and fills it. If Genesis is answering a question, it's answering the question not of how was man made, but it's asking why was man made. And that's the question that I think if we ask that as we read this today, it comes so alive. So let's read the creation account of man. Genesis 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet, been, had yet appeared on the earth, and uh, no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But the streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Let's talk about these plants for a minute because there's been a misinterpretation that, that suddenly man isn't made on day six when the creation's completed, but day two when plants are completed. And that is not at all what's being said here. It's, it is consistent. Man is clearly made on the sixth day. What it's talking about is the difference between wild, uncultivated plants and the kind of plants that man was put on this earth to cultivate. That earth is kind of this uh, swampy space. In fact, when they're put into the Garden of Eden, one of the first things that's reads about is all the rivers that are draining the water off the area to dry it out. That man is given Eden as the starting place to begin their grand work. This is talking about the earth being wild and man's place in it. It is formed uh, and created by God, but it is not complete until God's touch point gets here. And that is man's job is to be God's touch point on this earth, to create and to cultivate and to bring life to creation, to be God within it, to reflect God within it. Genesis describes those rivers drying off and, and Eden being made because it wasn't an end all. It's not like we're all supposed to remain in Eden. There is this calling to start here, take this, and go everywhere. Cultivate, build, grow, expand. Man is formed from the earth because he will take care of the earth. He is sent to be part of creation. He's not just brought in separate, but because he is meant to administrate creation, he's made from it himself. God made man of earth and so critically filled him with spirit. 
We are meant to administrate uh, this creation in its order. We are made from the earth for the earth. And the creation of the earth is not complete until man is there. That it says before they were there, it wasn't done yet. It was, there was no fields, there was nothing being planted, no crops for God to pour water on. Water came up from the earth. It was not completed until they got there. Our place in this created order is critical. One of the most important things to hang on to that a lifeless scientific interpretation would take from us is that we don't have a purpose or a meaning. But this whole universe is not complete until day six when we arrive. This breath of life is something amazing. Ruha is the word that's used. And it's one of those, I forget, anybody know, what's the name of a word that sounds like the thing it is? Is that what it is? What? Do you say synonym? That's like two words of the same meaning, right? Oh, no, none of us are English majors. There's a term for it. Uh, what was it? Some people think they know, but they're too shy because I said the English thing, didn't I? Okay. Whatever it is, ruha sounds like breathing. And it has a lot more meaning than just breath. You see, the way they thought of it isn't natural breath. We think of lungs coming up and in shutting, oxygen going in and getting into the bloodstream. For them, breath was a life force. And so there's this dramatic separation between creature uh, that is not human and creature that is human. Because while they're made from the earth and draw their life force from creation, humanity is dramatically set apart in that they're made from creation, but draw their life force from God. There's sometimes I think, and this is in the random thoughts of Sam, but sometimes I wonder if, do apes and humans look so similar and seem so similar genetically to be a constant reminder to us of you can have two creatures that are genetically almost completely the same, and if one has the breath of God in them and one has the breath of creation in them, they're dramatically different? We are different. We are dramatically different, in, in, inseparably divided from creation, that the, the creatures will not catch up. They will not be part of the same thing we are. We have received breath from God. And it's this intimate picture, too, of God breathing. It doesn't say that he blew far away, but it makes it clear he got down and breathed into his nostrils at the proximity and position of a kiss. That life comes from God as he's involved in his creation, the same way that as Christ pours himself out on the cross that we would have life. God in the beginning pours himself out that we would have life. All creatures are formed from earth, but man is earth in the life of God, the breath of God. Humanity is critically different in this sense and just unbelievably separated. It's the ruha that makes us different. When we draw a breath, it comes down to this constant reminder. Every six seconds, I was given life by God. My spirit is muddled with a divine awakening all the time within me. You know, we, uh, we find that uh, if you ask why enough times, it always leads back to what you really believe about God. Do you believe he's there? I think about a kid asking this. If someone says, why is it that whenever I breathe out, I have to breathe in again? 
You go, well, because you need the oxygen. It gets in your blood and it gets to your, your brain and everything and it keeps you alive. And they go, okay, why, do, why that? Why, why, why? It goes on until they're like, well, why do I need to be kept alive? And you're like, because God wants you to be alive. I mean, honestly, you ask enough times we breathe because of God. Suddenly, breathing becomes this constant reminder every six seconds. I was given life by God. In it flows and out it flows again, constantly, giving me life. And how rarely do I consider every day that amazing thing to be thankful for? I am alive, and I was made alive to a whole higher level than the creatures that are around me. Made alive to such a great and incredible thing, to be aware of amazing things. Life is a gift and it bears an incredible purpose. Let's be thankful, and let's be thankful and say yes to that purpose. There's this beautiful picture of rebreathing in Scripture. The first breath that makes man alive, and the second breath that gives him life again and life eternal. Ezekiel 37 has this beautiful picture of God breathing on a valley of dry bones. Dead saints, dead, dead people that are part of his kingdom and bringing this whole valley back to life. Through the gospel, through Christ, we receive this new life that makes us alive at a much deeper level. There's this uh, very dorky fact I'm going to share with you all. In in Tolkien's mythology, there's a creature called a half-elf. Half-elves were made by by these divine forces, the ones that made elves and humans and everything. And and the half-elf is built of things that make him both mortal like humans and also immortal like elves. And they're actually given a choice by the divine. They say, you get a pick. You can either have the gift of release and death that the humans have, or you can choose uh, an immortal life. And this race divides, and some of them choose death, some of them choose life. We are given an extremely similar choice, that we are made divinely animated, And there is something inside of us that is far more aware of beauty and creation and purpose and meaning. And we feel its call inside of us because the breath that made us alive that all other creatures don't have. But we're given a choice if we're going to have the second breath and receive eternal life and be made whole. Or if we're going to choose eternal death. God gives general life, but when he rebreathes on your life, It makes life so much more alive than your carnal imagination could ever fathom. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says that what no eye has seen and what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived, these are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. The first breath is given to all of us, and it's why we are all of us alive at a deeper level, but that second breath comes to those who receive it. When we are saved, we find ourselves grateful for all kinds of breath, two in in particular. The breath that gives us life that God gave us, and the second breath he gave us that gives us the promise and the hope and a life that opens and opens and opens and doesn't close more every day. Every breath that God gives you is an expression of his grace, every single one of them. Over thousands of years, Jews have developed specific blessings of gratitude and that uh, when they see something, it reminds them and they pray it and it's this expression and it's basically an opportunity that wherever they go, they could be reminded of their God. 
So for example, when one sees uh, the ocean, they could, uh, here's the ocean prayer, it says, uh, blessed are you, Lord, uh, our God, King of the universe, who made the great sea. And a blessing that is one of the most common around the world, Jews say upon waking up, is the moda ani. And it says this, I thank you, living and eternal King, for turning my soul within me in compassion. Great is your faithfulness. And every morning as they wake up, God gave it back. He protects and secures and gives me my life. Every breath comes from him. I had a very similar revelation. My first neurological surgery, when I was about 20 years old. I was recovering. It was a, it was a few days afterward, and I was uh, back home, and I was just praying, and I said, and I just was thanking God for keeping me alive during the surgery. Brain surgery is, a, is an intimidating thing. And I had this moment where you just, sometimes God speaks by just giving you this revelation understanding. It goes deep, and you're like, well, I can't take credit for that. I'm not that smart. But I had this moment where I just realized that there was nothing remarkable about that day. It was a Tuesday. Who gets brain surgery on a Tuesday? I do. Um, I go, I, and there was nothing remarkable about it. God did the same thing that day. He's done every day of my life. He's just simply gave me life. And it was this moment where I realized I'm thanking God, but it's something he does all the time. It reminds me of another uh, prayer from our Eastern Orthodox brothers in the faith, and they, they have what they call the Jesus prayer. And it takes two parts, and it's a breathing exercise prayer. On the inhale, they say, uh, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then they pause and hold their breath for a moment, and then they let all the breath out. Oh, excuse me, I said that wrong. As they, as they inhale, they say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. They breathe in that, that phrase, hold it, pause. And then as they let it out, they say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And at the end of that prayer, they have to inhale again, which is the completion of the prayer, a reminder that God gives life again and again, that you're, the fact that he gives you breath all day long is this reminder of just how gracious he is, just how present he is, just how much that he keeps giving you life, even after your worst moment, when you drew breath after it, God was giving you breath. God was giving you life. A reminder of how present his grace is with us. That every simple breath is a gift from God. Every day we receive life is a gift from God. And this greater life we receive from his second breath is an incredible gift to be thankful for. And the point of this is that I would hope we could all find rhythms, things in life, those little moments that can remind us to be grateful for the simple living, daily living, to not take it for granted, to not uh, forget about it the same way we forget about how good you all feel right now that you don't have a bellyache. Like, I'm, I'm serious right now. Think about how good that feels. Think about if you were nauseous. You're about to throw up. Sweat's coming down, the pre-throw up sweat. You got that? You don't have it right now, do you? That's a pretty awesome feeling. And maybe you didn't realize how great that was till I told you. But it is a great feeling. Can we be grateful for just simple living in the same way that God gives us life? The fact that we're drawing breath doesn't mean we're living for nothing. It means we're living for a purpose. Purpose is imparted in creation. The, the way God wants you to know how you are made isn't to tell you how, but to tell you why, because the most important thing for you to know is that you have a purpose, and every moment you breathe is a reflection that you have that purpose, that you are kept alive for the things God has for you. Let waking up every morning remind you 
that he loves you. And once again, he acted on your behalf. You were given life for a purpose, to live every day for an incredible purpose. So I'm going to thank God for four things as we pray. And then we'll go about uh, our week continuing to be thankful. Lord, I thank you for uh, being with us today. For giving us encouragement. Lord, I want to thank you for, uh, for life itself. God, we thank you for life, that we are alive here today because of you. Such a simple thing we take for granted, but it is a blessing. Thank you, God. Lord, we thank you for the eternal life that you've given us. That as the years go on and days go on, we don't have to fear what's ahead. We draw breath for a reason. And that reason goes on for eternity. Lord, I thank you that you've given us a purpose, that we don't draw breath and live on this world just simply waiting for death, that we are not void, that we are not uncalled, but we are called and we are meant to do something. We're meant to be here. We have meaning, we have purpose, we have value because of you. Guide us, Lord, as we say yes to that calling, as we say yes to those things and follow after what you have for us today. And Lord, we thank you for just the simple breathing. We thank you that our breath comes from you, that we are awakened because of you, and that every moment that we breathe is a reminder that you make us alive. We thank you for simple breathing today, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.